winter. Hello and welcome to What We Do in the Winter. This is the 35th episode in this series of podcasts, which usually come from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Alva and Gometra. This is the first of two episodes from the Isle of Colonsey. Colonsey, to quote colonsey.org.uk, lies in the Hebrides off the west coast of Scotland. Fifteen miles to the north lies the island of Mull. The eastern and southern horizons are bounded by the islands of Jura and Isla. And to the southwest, just visible from a high point on a clear day, is the coast of Donegal in Ireland. To the west lies the Atlantic, with only Duerschach Lighthouse standing between Colonsey and Canada. Together with its semi-detached neighbour Orensey, it forms an island group roughly ten miles long and two miles wide, with a population of 135. I'm Alistair Satchel. I live outside of Derbig in the north of Mull, about 32 miles from Collinsey, as the crow flies, and I'll be your host today. In this episode, I talk with Carol and Donald, P.D. McNeil, of Thrumclach, on the western side of Collinsey. As you'll hear, Carol is originally from Edinburgh, and came to Collinsey as a young woman to work at the hotel for a summer job. It was there that she met Donald, who was born and raised on the island at Garvard, opposite Orensey. Our conversation covers a wide range of topics. Both Carol and Donald trained as teachers, and their life and work has taken them from Colonsey to Thurso, back to Colonsey, Wick, and then back to Colonsey again. We name-check characters from the past, talk about the challenging nature of being the teacher in a small rural school, and we talk about PD's musical career too. We also talk about the harsh realities of life at Oban High, which include a particularly brutal form of punishment that many people from that generation will recall with a shocking degree of clarity. One thing that comes through very clearly to me is the resilience of the Colonsey community. These are people who are hard-working and who make the most of schemes and initiatives to make life on the island work for them and use their own entrepreneurial skills to diversify what they do and draw other people to them, enriching both the community and their own lives. You'll hear quite a lot of background noise in this episode, for which I apologise. I've tried to tidy it up as best I can, but I didn't want to push it too far, otherwise we sound like we're inside a goldfish bowl. There's a couple of interjections from young people at certain points in the episode too. The first being from my son, who wanted to show Carol and Petey's grandchildren a game on the phone. The next being a request to fix a stitch in some knitting. So I hope the extra sounds don't rip your knitting too much. I love that phrase. Hap your rips my knitting. That's perfect. Talking of sounds, Donald has very kindly provided the music for this episode. Throughout the main body of the interview, you'll hear instrumental sections from his song, My Mother Rode Her Motorbike. And then, at the end of the episode you'll hear the song The Hall in 59 in its entirety. You can purchase Donald's music by following the link to his Bandcamp site, which you'll find in the notes for this episode. His music is available through iTunes, Amazon and Spotify too. Before I pass you on to this week's guests, I just want to say quickly that I'll be recording conversations at the Bereson Show this Friday, the 2nd of August 2019. If you're around and fancy sharing a tale with me, I'd love to see you. Right. I'm delighted to hand you over to Carol and Donald McNeil. Who are you? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Donald, Donald McNeil. Also known as? Beauty. And I'm Carol, Carol McNeil. And you don't have a nickname, Carol? Uh, no, oh. no. <laughs> Where are you from originally yourself? Edinburgh. I, I came to work in the hotel in 1973, which is one of the years Pete was back um, for the summer himself as a student. And I've lived here off and on for much of my life ever since. 
What uh, were you a student as well at the time? Yes. What yes. were you studying? History of art and architecture. Where was that? Edinburgh. Very nice. Yeah. And how was the hotel at that time? Who were the owners in the seventies? That period. It was the estate at that point, but Angus and Peggy Clark were managing it. It was the first year that they managed it. They took over as managers when the manager who had been put in for the summer left <laughs> quite quickly. <laughs> uh, so, so it, it was A just feature a, that's continued to this day. <laughs> I was going to say, I've heard tales about that. Yes, yes. yes. No, it, it was good fun. I came with a, a pal who had been a school friend and then a university friend. And the were quite a group of young people on the island at that time in their late teens. And, of course, Pete and the other island youngsters at the time. That was good fun. And how did you hear about Colonsy? How did you hear about a job in the Colonsy Hotel? My friend and I had been looking for a job somewhere in Scotland for the summer, and there were two on the Student Union Notice Board. One for... Colonsy for the hotel and one for, oh, I can't remember the name. Near um, Inverness. Yes, it's somewhere up there. Bridge. So, Bonner Bridge. Bonner Bridge. Somewhere like that. <laughs> I went home and got out a map and <laughs> looked and saw where Colonsy was and we decided to apply to both. That They were both doing the same sort of thing, just general hotel work. And Colonsy replied first. Fantastic. So here I am. What were your first thoughts when you got off the ferry? When you got on the ferry in Oban? We were very excited about it. As we got closer to Colonsy, we kept looking for <laughs> signs of habitation <laughs> and there were none uh, until you got right into the pier. So yes. that was slightly disconcerting. It's just the but, odd abandoned village. <laughs> what, we didn't even notice it. But when we got off the boat and were walking down the pier, as one did in those days... We were met by uh, one of the old guys, I can't remember, it might have been Aldi, who said to us, oh, you're the young girls, we're here to work in the hotel for the summer then. (laughs) (laughs) We discovered quite quickly that news travelled fast and nothing was private. (laughs) Yeah, it's... It's lovely coming off the boat and still seeing people standing going, uh-huh. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It's amazing. And Petey, how about yourself? You, Where were you born? Garvard. Could you describe where Garvard is on the island? It's in on the south side, adjacent to the Strand, which is the water between Collinsy and Ornsey. My father was from Ornsey, so he had moved a mile across the <laughs> water, ultimately via various other directions. And what was, uh, was Garvard's a farm? Yes. Were they working as farming tenants at the time? Yes, tenant farmers for 30 years. What sort of um, beasts did they have? Well, just sheep and cattle. Mainly sheep. 400 sheep and 20 cattle, something like that. It's quite a good scale. Uh-huh. What, what size is Garvard, the farm itself? Is it? Well, it's amalgamated with Barnby Moor, which was originally a farm in its own. Uh, and so it was 1,200 acres, mainly rocks. <laughs> a rock farmer. Yes. Oh, gosh. And so you were brought up in Garvard as well? Yes. Gosh. That's quite isolated in terms of yeah. much of the rest of the jobs. Not as, not like Arskinish, <laughs> but it's not far off it. 
Well, I suppose it was probably just as bad as a skeemish, um yeah. before electricity and modern communications. But yeah, it was it was failing. But then you don't know that. <laughs> That's where you're born. You have no conception of being remote or otherwise. You say your dad came came from Orange. A McNeil. Yes. Who were his people? Where were they? Where were they from themselves? Um, his mother. She came from over here, didn't she? The what? The Mills. Mm. The Mill and her father. He was born on the farm as well, or he lived on the farm. His no, I don't actually know. Carlos, the person who was researched by <laughs> family tree, <laughs> not me. So I don't honestly know further back than that. They had been on Ornsey for a long time, but originally from this croft, I think. Really? Yeah. Is this Lower Kilhattan? Or the well, Drumclach. Drumclach, of course. Aye. Yeah. Aye. Your mum, Pony, is that right? Uh-huh. Where, did her, where did her nickname come from? Well, her name was Joan. Ah, Joanie Pony. Yes. I see. She liked horses and had a horse as a youngster. And had her folks come from Colonty? No. Where were they from? Glasgow. Really? Yes. Ah, so how did she come to be in Colonty? She came with Sheena Pelling. I'm not sure how they knew, but they used to come on holiday to stay in Colonty. Gosh. Um, so I'm not quite sure how that connection had formed. Sheena ended up in Glasgow, is that right? Uh-huh. Yeah, right. And well, she was married, she was sister of Andrew McNeil, who was married dad to Flora. Yes. Um, but this was before all that, yeah. so they came as teenagers. So that what that's the nineteen thirties. Must have been, yeah, thirties. Mm-hmm. Gosh, so there's something about this island that just gets you. <laughs> <laughs> well, in this case, it was my father. <laughs> <laughs> he got him. Because <laughs> yeah. your dad was a poet as well, I right? Remember, he was. Yes. Yeah. Can you say a little bit about how did he come to write poetry? <laughs> Well, not really. <laughs> no idea how he came to write poetry. my grandfather wrote poetry not far from him as well. Um, <laughs> he just did. Uh, but he he wasn't prolific. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he did he did, did a bit. And, but he was a sort of, he had a kind of a poetic bearing to him. Yeah. He saw the world in, term, in a poetic fashion, <laughs> <laughs> which was not always to his advantage. Yeah. Yeah. I saw Neil Brown, uh, cousin Neil, recently, and I was asking him about Old Call because I, mm-hmm. obviously my son's called Call, and that's keeping the name in the family again. Because you mm-hmm. see, you look back to the family tree and you see Call Alexander, yes. da, 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 Call, and then Alexander, on it goes. And I was trying to get a flavour of what Old Call Day was like, and he said that he came up with a phrase of, about someone, oh, it, they were so rotten they would steal the bridle from a nightmare. <laughs> which I thought was amazing, yeah. really. Quite poetic and mm. yeah, and that's some of his first language is Gaelic, and then I think, mm. oh, it's just. Mm-hmm. I'm really fascinated by the, the, the characters of of, um, of the island when I was growing up and before as well, because they're sort of legendary mm. characters in our family. So who were the who? Well, first of all, who were your peers when you were at school? Well, Neil Brown. Yes. Or more or less the same age. The island boy himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so he and I started school at the same time. Ian Kelly mm-hmm. from Balnahard and his sister Mary. Was a bit younger. And Dundee. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And they were all, we were all the same age, Lily and MacArthur. And then there were some older kids in the school because they didn't go off to high school at that time. Right. So there were Huey and David McConnell, 
Archie's brothers, Duncan uh, McDougall, and uh-huh. uh, my sister Kate. So it was a very busy school then? Was it was about 18, I think. Aye. So how did they do the, the upper part of the school education? What was was done? Was it the same teacher they did from primary through to they, secondary? They then? posted stuff from Dunoon. Oh, right. <laughs> well, it's this mis- mysterious picture of Dunoon where the <laughs> parcels came with... The castle of dis- knowledge. Distance learning, yeah. <laughs> and they completed assignments and sent them off. And the teacher helped when she could, but obviously... She was at the opposite end of the school, so... No, we were all in together. Oh, were you? Well, there was two rooms... But um, mm-hmm. oh, you weren't separated. I I thought no, no, the, no. the older class was at the far end. No, right. Mm-hmm. The two rooms, what's now the preschool room and mm-hmm. the classroom, were both adjacent rooms. And the characters. So when the when you came here, the characters were like you've talked about Aldi already. Mm-hmm. Who were the people that st- stick out in your memory of being uh, Ross Ross Derek Hippo. A hippo. Uh, How did he yes. get the name hippo? I've no idea. <laughs> Before my time, yeah. he was just l- larger than life in every way, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. And one of my uh, clearest memories is if there was something happening with the youngsters on the island after the pub, a party somewhere, or a barbecue or something, hippo was always keen to go along and he'd would very often have to fold him into his mini <laughs> to, to take him and then deliver him home again afterwards. It was remarkably difficult to get out <laughs> because his limbs were quite long, so they would jam, I think, contention in the mini. <laughs> and you try to haul him out. <laughs> like a cat. <laughs> yeah, just exactly. Like trying to put a cat into our cat box. <laughs> And Peggy and Angus were, were the other ones I got to know very well through mm-hmm. working in the hotel. And Where did they live? They lived in the hotel at that point. Oh, okay. In Do, the farm. Oh, yes. Farmindu. Okay, around mm-hmm. the corner, yeah. Mm-hmm. But they were in the hotel for the summer. And what were they like? What was... Oh, Peggy was just great fun. She was so welcoming in the hotel. She treated the hotel like her home. Lovely. We had so many people, uh, islanders, coming into the hotel kitchen at the end of breakfast. Once once the guests had been fed, the kitchen would fill up with Bill and Finlay, who were the roadmen at the time. They, they would come No, in. they state workers. They state workers. So they had a oh, sort yes. of a right to be there. Mm. Right. Since right. they stayed in the hotel. Uh-huh. I think there was lots of other hanger-ons who came in for... A feed as well. She was Lovely. basically feeding half the island. Yeah. That's brilliant. She was such such a lovely person. Uh, it was good fun working in the hotel. She was also an amazing cook. Mm. Peggy could turn that book into a three-course meal. It's extraordinary. Yeah, my gran was the same as well. He'd also mm. run the hotel. but mm-hmm. Carol used to tell us about Peggy. Well, I suppose we better think of something to feed them. Sort of half an hour before dinner was due to be served. One leak, one potato <laughs> kind of thing, and it fed the millions. Amazing. She was good. Uh, I can't think, think of others. Pe- Peggy's mum, Katie Fake, she was very nice to us young girls too. We would call in and visit her and we passed sometimes on our day What about your neighbours, Paramore? Oh, oh. Ah. was Paramore? Was he not in the 
cottage next to you? Or had he moved yeah, there? No, I think he was in the cottage next to us. But Paramore was, was another uh, character, yes. And Di Potter himself was going oh, to yeah. visit us at the end of the week. Paramore and Di had the, their own places. They would stand in the bar and whenever you went in, there they would be. And of course, Paramore and Di were both on the pier uh-huh. at the same time too. So they were some of the other characters. I think I remember Paramore as a, as a wee man. Would that be right in the sort of early 80s? No, no, no. no, that, no was, that was Peter. That was Paraclocks. Paraclocks, Peter. Ah, uh, yes, yes. But Paramore was... Big Peter. Pe- right. Yes. Um, Peter McAllister... Yes, he was. Mm-hmm. He was the rock on which Colonsy functioned for a long time. Yeah. So, it's an island full of life and richness and character and diversity. And um, it was one of the things that always strikes me is that I asked my gran when I was we I was down the shore and in, in front of Dunoon, this mystical seat of learning, <laughs> and uh, I was playing in the shore and looking at different bits and bobs, and I was asking her about uh, what she ate when she was wee, and. I said, oh, did you ever eat limpets at all? And she said very sadly, only when times were hard. And I was at Risk Bui yesterday. There was a limpet shell in the window. Uh, and I thought, oh, gosh. And I, I think it was part of the, the render for inside. Uh, I hope it was. But who knows, you know, because do you know anything about the period when they left Risk Bui at all? Did anyone ever talk about that? Not really, no. Because um, I know they were very glad to get the houses. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think the trick. You know, the trade in and out must have been they were pretty isolated and if you couldn't get and it, it was a funny place to have a fishing village because there's no decent harbour. Yeah. You know, it's it's, a, it's they must have had to pull their boats up any time there was any bad weather. So it was it must have been really quite a hard hard life and mm-hmm. for the women to cart stuff in and out and mm-hmm. no water, so that all had to be done by carrying water and things. So yeah, I'm not surprised they they were happy to leave. Yeah, it wasn't around for very long, this way, was it? It was only about 100 odd years or something like that. That it was lived in? I think so. Right. I think something like that. Because mm. um, they, they would go off and fish in Jura for lobsters yes. and sleep mm-hmm. in caves mm-hmm. overnight. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's not, not fun. <laughs> no, but nobody had agreed, did they? No, indeed. Um, yeah. And I don't remember hearing of people actually starving in Colonsy. No. Um, Although I'm sure there some people, because there were winkles and limpets and rabbits and things that could be mm. presumably. Rabbits were, rabbits were quite a feast, though. They were quite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you have rabbit growing up as well yourselves? All the time, yes. Yeah. So from Colonsy, you've done your upper part of your schooling in the same school uh, that you taught in Cal. Where did you go after that? Oban. Oban. And you did fifth and sixth year in Oban? Yeah. No, did the whole thing. No, no, I didn't do the correspondence tuition. Mm, okay. um, it changed. No, it didn't change. I think it was elective. Anyway, Neil and I went to, to high school. Asked <coughs> my sister. <coughs> and how was that? What was Oban High School like at that time? Well, again, nothing to compare it with. No, Aye. Quite good at just... It was obviously a lot of people. Yeah, <laughs> Since it was about 800. Yeah. Aye, do you remember the feeling of contrast from, from home to that? Yeah. No. I don't remember it being, oh dear, this is huge and dreadful, how am I going to survive here? Uh, I got on fine. Perfect. And, you know, they had things like girls, which we had oh, yes. many of in Colonsy. Yes, yes. So there was a variety in football. Yeah. Everything I, I, I really didn't. Neil didn't like it so much. Mm-hmm. He missed his cre- creature comforts, or whatever you call them, um, at first, but then he soon settled in. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't ideal. I once said to Neil, you know, didn't do us any harm, and he said, are you sure? And uh, 
that then makes you think it probably wasn't the best mm. uh, way to be, but it was you know it was the only way at that time. You had the Ian Crichton Smith as one of your teachers at that period as we well. We did. Yes. How was he as a teacher? Uh, well, I never had him. Right. Uh, I think as a teacher of good pupils, he was good, mm. and he was never given any of the bad ones because he was so bad. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. He was quite an ineffectual man, so you know he could be. That's poetic. <laughs> well, no, he could just get the piss ripped out of him. <laughs> oh, I see, right? You know, it's a dreadful thing to see, but Ian Crichton-Smith was actually a very dishevelled, quite dirty-looking man. You know, tramp-like. So you can imagine what the kids did to that. But with some of the better classes, I think you'd have to ask Neil. I think Neil had a, I don't know, was a teacher for a year. So I think he was better to go stick to the writing yes, <laughs> than he did. Indeed, yeah. Concentrate on that. Um, I can't imagine he enjoyed teaching an awful mm. lot, but maybe I'm wrong. Were there any other teachers that kind of stick out as...? Yes, there was a guy, George Mackay, who we called Psyche because he blinked <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and this guy was, thankfully, <clears throat> was sadistic. Oh, God. And uh, he used to connect us up to a magneto of an old <laughs> tractor, which delivers approximately two or 3,000 volts. And he would make us, the whole class hold hands and then he would turn the thing and you'd get a shock, like you get off an electric fence, that sort of type of shock. <laughs> so this was the punishment. And the fact that we allowed him to do it, he was bizarre and extreme, but I think there was a... That was your punishment, not a science, science oh, no, experiment. Oh, no, it's a punishment. The big veto was the punishment. And as I say, for the whole class sometimes, <laughs> where you all get <laughs> And they used to... He, and the, the, Had he been a prisoner of war? Well, he should have been. <laughs> and uh, he did the scripture reunion. Oh, we. So he used to come to the hostel to um, do scripture reunion and we'd have a wee reading. And then we would sing a hymn. <laughs> and he'd sit in front of the piano. He couldn't play the piano. <laughs> and he had the music in front of him. But whether he could have randomly saw where the note was and hit approximately. Yeah. You know, within three or four notes of each note, so chung, 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 like that, what friend we have in Jesus, it's common. <laughs> so I, I met his son on one of these LDO things uh-huh. much later, and uh, he was a nice guy, seemed <laughs> perfectly normal. <laughs> well adjusted. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing shocking about yeah. him. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Maybe. So yeah, he certainly stood out, and Dol Bake, Donald Thompson, the Gallic teacher, he was quite a character. Yes. It didn't do very well with me, obviously. McCormick. Oh, Ian McCormick, yeah. Who was that? What did he do? I d- can't remember. <laughs> Ian McCormick me. was uh, one of these SNP MPs the very first time we wow. had a batch of, was it seven SNP MPs or something? Got in and uh, he was a character. Yeah. A history teacher. Well, we did, went to his class, very little history was talked about. Yeah. Past the time of day. Have you not got a photograph of you and some of your friends have, yes, sitting right. with him on a beach somewhere? Well, he lived adjacent to the hostel. Ah. There was a lodge attached to the hostel. I think he maybe had some sort of duties like supervising study, study or something. Mm. He used to come down and go swimming. I mean, he could only be 30 odd at the time, mm. go swimming and things like that. His wife's still on the go. I met her two years ago. It's down at Neil's and... She came to visit. She was very friendly with Neil and Alison. Lovely. Oh. So he was, yeah, he was a, another character. George, uh, what was his name? Mackay, the maths teacher that became a liberal, was a liberal, and then became a lord. Mm-hmm. Lord Mackay of something or other. Ardbreakness or something like that. So um, from there, 
You go to... Did you go to Edinburgh? I went to Strathclyde. Right. What did you do at Strathclyde? Physics. Right. And were the aim of going into teaching or were the aim of going no, into... I didn't know what I was going to do. Why physics? What was the thing that appealed to you about physics? I was good at it at school. I wasn't good at it at university. <laughs> <laughs> I'd subsequently failed second year and then I went to Napier. All right, okay. And finished off with an HND. Right. After that. So. Had you met Carol by that point as well? Uh, yes, that's why I went to Edinburgh to, after my... It was probably her fault that I failed second year. No, I didn't meet her until after the failed second year, I think it was. Right. But by that time, I'd realised that I shouldn't have been studying physics at all. Um, although I then did an HND and then I did an OU degree in maths after that. So oh. kind of, because I was teaching by that time, I thought, if I'm teaching maths, I should really learn something about it rather than what I've scraped by on so far. Oh, James. So, but, um, yeah... So that was that. Where did you go to teach maths? Thurston. Really? Yes. It's about as far away from here as you can get. Well, in those days, there were more jobs than people, although it had altered. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> uh, may I show it? The girl wants to see classical. Is that okay? Yep, sure, of course. Yeah. I'll be very careful. Yes, don't drop it in water or, or lick it or anything like that, okay? <laughs> I will not. Yes. Oh, sorry. Yes, so you went to, to Thurso, yeah, oh, yeah, because there were more jobs. Because, well, because, basically because the, that was the first year there was a surplus of primary teachers. Mm-hmm. And Carol was a primary teacher. Prior to that, you could get a job anywhere. Really? It was mm-hmm. one of those periods. It goes in peaks mm-hmm. and troughs, doesn't mm-hmm. it? They were around the colleges recruiting. Yeah. And they were all set up in stations and you just went and said, I'm a maths teacher. And they said, well, we've got this and this and this. So we had to go and say, I'm a maths teacher and a primary teacher. Mm-hmm. And they were... By this time, there wasn't so many jobs for primary teachers. So. No, there were 200 yeah. qualified in my year, and I think 40 of us got jobs straight away. <sighs> Presumably the others did uh, eventually, yeah. but at the time, just 40. So that's how we ended up in Thurston. And did you like Thurston? Yes. Yes. I love it up there. It's an mm-hmm. amazing place. Mm-hmm. So what, what period is that? Sort of 76 to 79. Mm-hmm. So you were in Thurston High? Yes. And I was in Hallkirk Primary, which is just 10 miles, if that, mm-hmm. out. And were you married by that point as well? Yes. Right. Uh-huh. And did you get married? Where did you get married? In Edinburgh. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. Very small wedding, very mm-hmm. quiet. Yeah. Was that Aberdeen you went after that? No, no, we came here after that. Right. And what did you do? Were you in the school here? By no, right. no, no. Uh, we weren't teaching at all for no. a number of years. Right. Well, so what did you do when you came back? Well, I got a job looking after the local generators. Ah. Uh, the electricity supply. There was a generating plant up there opposite Lisbon Nichols and one in Scalasig. It was a community scheme that had money to buy generators and there was somebody employed and he was leaving. Right. I got the job. Was that at Little Hampton, that shed there? Is that where that was? <laughs> It's got a, do- a sign in the door that says Little Hampton now. Uh, in Scalsey. Uh-huh. The one halfway down. Right. No, it wasn't that one. Although that was a generator house prior to that was in the previous scheme. Uh, so where was the Jenny back then? It was, uh, you know, if you walk up Squint Street. Yes. There's an old building which was a shop or a house or something on your left hand side. Not sure what it was. It was there. And mm. there was generators were in there. It had originally been mm. the hotel's <clears throat> generating house. They did their generator and then they put in another one as well to complement it. 
Is that when the family arrived when you were yes. here? Yes. Oh, well, yes. So. <laughs> yeah. Were there many kids on the island at the time? No. No, there weren't. There were no other babies, were there? Mandy? Uh, yeah, Mandy was the closest, so she was a couple of years older. But I did feel pretty isolated. Can't have been easy yeah. at all, no. No, although not as isolated as when we then moved down to Garford. <laughs> <laughs> that really was isolated. Uh, How did you come to move to Garford? Well, my parents had been the tenant farmers, so yeah. we just swapped. Right, so you became the farmers then there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how was that to take on your parents' mantle and your in-laws' mantle as well? It was quite good fun. I, th- I think we we wanted the challenge. We were quite happy to take over. It, it was us who said to them initially, would you like us to take over the farm? Because they were barely coping by that point. And we were in their house. Uh, and you just up there, yeah. Yes, I remember yeah. that as a child, yeah. Uh, so it made sense to swap. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, obviously I knew a lot about it from having been brought up on the yeah. farm anyway. And by this time I was working a lot in farms. Well, it's the electricity, yeah, the electricity job was still going. So you're doing both? Well, it was part-time. Yeah. Um, yes. So. And you were helping out down at Garvard any time anything yes. was done? And what would what were the highlights of living and working as a farming? <laughs> you mean the highlights of life or the highlights of farming? The hi- well, the highlights of life and farming put together. <laughs> I distinctly remember sometimes when we were gathering on, on a good day. <laughs> I particularly remember gathering round about the strands and things. Yes, and standing on top of one of the hills round the strand and thinking. Would you rather be doing anything anywhere else? And the answer was no. So, that, and then the sheep ran good. the wrong way and <laughs> Check, quickly changed my mind. <laughs> yeah, I went to Judah for the afternoon. <laughs> but then um, it was quite good. There was a lot of youngsters farming at that time. There were, well, youngsters, people in their thirties. There was mm-hmm. us and Gavin, David Hophouse and Balnahar. Um, Nigel Grant was the manager of Cologne, who was forward thinking. Um, Seamus was in. Martins. That's um, a lot of young, young yeah, folk together, yeah. So there was quite a lot of, it was quite a go-ahead period of time. There was money available for various schemes to do stuff. So everybody was mm-hmm. developing so, and... Mm-hmm. You had a farming cooperative for sharing machinery yeah. and bulls too. Yeah, we did. Yeah, it could be serviced. <laughs> <laughs> which was tremendously sort of progressive because yeah. the state put in like 90% of the money because they had 90% of the use. But it meant that crofters could use a brand new tractor for the few hours they needed it and, or a brand new baler. Mm. You know. So for so five years we had all this decent machinery. It was all grant-aided. Yeah. Yeah. Was that Highland and the Island Development Board at yeah. the time? I think it was a third grant, third loan and a third ourselves. So, you know, crofters would bring in 50 quid sort of thing and getting out of this. I remember being with Eva when I was a wee man when Uncle Hugh was in Homefield in a really swanky tractor in the field up there um, going over. I, I, I don't know why we're in that field over there, but um, yeah, it was. I was surprised by how you know, there's a, there a radio in it and it was comfy and there were <laughs> pilot seats and everything. It was great. We could get the whole family in our Zeta. <sighs> yeah. And did frequently. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was good. It was quite interesting. Yeah. It was a challenge to try and 
turn what was not a productive business into a you know productive business. And then we started diversifying cattle. Didn't we? Well, you did that mm-hmm. in the Croft. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had a small knitwear business just uh, to keep myself sane <laughs> while looking after two young children. Yes. Which we were able to develop well, more when we went yeah. to. I mean, you had thought of that before we even came home. Yes. Yes. Because we became Collins of Woolens by mistake. <laughs> we went to get some headed note paper and told them the wrong thing. Oops. Have you made a mistake? Yes, again. Yes, right. once more. That's fantastic, just as we're talking about the, the woolen. <laughs> so you can see that the, the knitwear has passed down through the generations. Yeah, mm-hmm. fantastic. Pro. It, it was quite a big business, actually, in terms of, you know, you yeah, sold a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when we went to Garford, we turned it into a craft shop, used one of the buildings. Right. A craft shop. Yes, uh-huh. and coffee shop. But I really just used it as an excuse. I used the craft shop as and coffee shop as an excuse to surround myself with all the Scottish-made crafts that I could without having to buy them myself because I was then selling them yeah. on. Yeah. And that was great fun because I went to the... The HIDB did the craft fairs in Avi oh, yeah. uh, Moore, uh, where Gosh. we went a few times. So I got to know some of the craftspeople and we would keep in touch over the winter as I chose my stock for the shop. Um, and have you stayed in contact with some of those as well? One or two. One or two now come here as part of Sarah's Spring Festival. So yes, I have been in touch with a couple. There you go, that was easy. I'm quite hungry now as well. And uh, I used to do sort of music. Yes. And chat, which was became quite a cult thing for a few years. Yeah. Turning them away at the door. Was that at home or in the pub or? No, no, that was down there. Wow. In the bar. Well, first year it wasn't. First year it was in the bar. And then we had, then we made another shade into a sort of a little theatre. Fantastic. Yeah, that was good. That was that was quite lucrative because you didn't really have to move yeah. out of your own house. Just tune the guitar and away you go. And, uh, and were you writing your own songs at that yeah, point? Yeah, oh, it was all my own stuff. Yeah, that was that was basically why I did it at home and the principle that if people want to come and see, I'm not forcing them kind mm-hmm. of thing. And um, also there was a couple of um, people, John and Pamela Clark, mm-hmm. who... Used to do our natural history talk for us mm-hmm. as well, also in there. So yeah, it was quite a that's active brilliant. little thing. Yes. She drew people to it. Yes. Know? That's yep. fantastic. Well, we had them in the in the theatre. Mm-hmm. You can't see that in the podcast. <laughs> I, for for the of the podcast, I'm doing quotation marks <laughs> in the theatre. <laughs> then at halftime, we'd have coffee, so they would go through to the coffee mm. shop. Mm-hmm. And were you releasing your own uh, re- re- recordings of that? Yes. We made that, well, that was another... Did we make that before we started the first Half Hebridean tea? Half Hebridean. Yes. we did. Yes. Yeah. And that was, that's been a good seller. That, that's actually made me money. That wow. Yeah, and you're a musician. How is this possible? Because <laughs> it didn't cost a lot to make. Did you record it at home or did you record no, it? No, no. I recorded it in Buckingham of all places. What? I was on holiday. Right. And Christmas holiday and just found a recording studio and... It was a guy who was more used to recording rock bands and things. It's good. But he had recorded one or two names. Mm. 
Wild Willie Barker, Barker, something wow. like that. Wow. Yeah. That's great, and that's still available now, I presume. It's now a CD. And available from ColinsyRecords.com? <laughs> it's available from Sarah's Be Shoppy too. Yes, you can get it, but if you go to my website, you can find it. Fantastic. Yeah, but that, that was the one that made the money, because when we made it into a CD, it only obviously cost us a quid or something to and then you're selling for a lot more, so... Gosh, no, that's lovely. I love the idea of, of redrawing people to mm-hmm. making making a, a, mm-hmm. a hub. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's, and I think that's one of the things about Conti. It does seem to be very progressive. There's a lot of progressive ideas. There is. There is now, particularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you see how that's changed over the years? What's that? How how that's come about? Would you say? Um, or are there any initiatives that stick out, like the LDO thing we're talking about? I would like to say that that would been a huge success, but. I'm not sure that it was. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it did certainly help um, in terms of. I mean, the, what the tangible outcome of that's the community garden. Yes. Which is a visible and brilliant as well. Mm-hmm. And it's a tremendous asset. The play park's fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a subsequent one, so that was good. So it shows things carried on. That was more recent. But I think the present thing is because there's a lot of young. Well, it's due to incomers. I think people mm-hmm. have come in with. Yeah. Artist skills. <laughs> so from here we went back to Wick. Right. <laughs> Why Wick rather than Thurso? It was a job. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Again, two, two jobs. Yes. In rapid succession. No, I'm not sure about that. Yes, they did in rapid succession, but I think I went first and mm-hmm. got a job, and then you just thought you'd look for one. Mm-hmm. And was that maths teaching again? Yes. And how was that going back to teaching after having been on the land? Yeah, it was great because everybody were away at half past three. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been used to working until nine o'clock every night, and suddenly, um, yes. time was your own. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the farming was a lot of hard work. And you didn't get away from it very often. And it was very difficult to take a nice day off and go to the beach or something like that. Whereas when you were teaching, we came here for six weeks every summer and yeah. holidayed. You probably. actually would appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Apart from when I used to be hauled away to shear sheep, which was <laughs> quite good fun. But, yeah. um, was that done with a, a crowd of folk or was it just yourself and your dad? No, yeah. be a crowd, be a gang, we'd get together and shear. So. Who, that, who, who were all the, the, the shearing? In the gang, the shearing, well, Nigel Grant, Seamus... David Hophouse, Morag, eh, not Morag, Rona. Mm-hmm. And was that a good place to catch up on all the gossip and all the news? Oh, yeah. But it didn't last long. Right. There were maybe a couple of hundred to do at a time, so the five of us it only took maybe an hour and a half or something like that. That's as brilliant. well as the five shearers, there were also the rule rulers. So I went along and did that. Ah. The croggers. Uh, so What's crogging now? I don't know what that is. Pulling the sheep. Cat, oh, of course. Catching the sheep to pull the sheep. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh. That was quite hard work. Yeah. Everyone did that. But I mean, there were good, lots of good fun at the farming as well. <clears> but, uh, I mean, struggled to remember. <laughs> well, we lived close to the strand, which was ideal for swimming, you know, in yeah. the summertime when mm-hmm. the tide was in, it was this high. And, and we did a bit of wood surfing there. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And when, um, when did the oysters start? When did Andrew start doing that? Uh, mm. When we were in. Thurso. Right, okay. So, about 70, 
late 70s, I'm not really sure cute. exactly the date. He stayed in a caravan right here, actually, for a really? while. Oh, that's right, yes. And then he moved into the wee house, which isn't there anymore. My parents had stayed in it when they first got married. And then he went down to Garvard, so, yeah. Because it's, it's in that intertidal zone at Garvard, isn't it, the oyster farm? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And does he live down closer to that now? Yes, he yeah. built a house under the bend. Uh, right. On the Garvard side. Overlooking the street. On the yeah. Collinsy side, right. Mm -hmm. Lovely. I'm maybe trying, if I can get back at some point, I'd love to talk to him as well about the nature of that because I've talked to Nick mm -hmm. Turnbull on Mull, who's our oyster farmer, mm -hmm. oh, right. to get the contrast between the two. Mm -hmm. um, and to talk to Andrew about the bees too. This is the um, thing. The black bees. The black bees. It's, I'm, I, what an incredible success story that's mm -hmm. been. Just, yeah. Were you conscious of local honey being something special when you were younger? Well, I was because my uncle used to do it. Oh, which one was that? Neely. He lived in Barmy Morley, kept bees. And it was honey that didn't taste like any other honey that I'd ever tasted. And of course, I just tastes the same. What do you think it is? Is it the nature of the wildflowers around here? Is it the bee itself? Is it... The heather? I think it's the heather. It's specifically heather honey, isn't it, basically? So So when you came back to the island next time, is that when you became the teacher at the school? Mm -hmm. Yes. So what was that like, having been the teacher at larger schools, I presume larger schools, Yes. to yes. becoming the, the sole mm -hmm. teacher in charge of... Of a community school. It was really quite awful. Uh, it was hard, hard work. There were lots of problems and I was on my own. Yeah. And isolated and I really noticed that and struggled with it from time to time. Of course. I, th I think it was the isolation that got to me yeah. mo most of all and suddenly realising what I'd given up when I left the big school. I'd been doing learning support on the mainland oh, for lovely. a few years. Like Heather uh, Waller as well. Yeah. Sorry? Heather had done something similar as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, ah, yes. Mm -hmm. So yes. I really enjoyed the companionship that I had while I was doing that and realised what I was missing when I came back here. And You need that support, yeah. Yes, yeah. Do you think that working in learning support had been uh, an advantage? A huge advantage, yes. In yeah. which ways do you think that was? Knowing how to respond to so many of the problems that I was met with yeah. and individualised learning yes. came second nature because I had that's what I had done on the mainland. So, yeah, it made an enormous difference. What was the largest role that you were dealing with? Was sort of 18 kids like at Petey's time? Or? I think I think it was 12 was the most. But that's 12 I, individual I lesson plans across primaries 1 to 7 that need yes. to be planned every yes. day. Yes, as well as the pre-5 unit oh, for which I was responsible. I had, was it half a day or was it whole day's management? Two would come in um, and do the, the cover for that. Diane Clark did it quick when I first came and then Shima Nisbet was doing it and Pete, it must have been a whole day because Pete was doing half a day too. Uh, my prefab management time was, was Pete's. Of course, the so teaching qualification. He would come in and do music. Uh, Science. Uh, and oh, various other things, yes. So I could use his skills yeah. to fill in the, the gaps because I'm not musical at all. <laughs> Which was a serious lack 
in an island primary teacher <laughs> if you can't play the piano or even sing in tune. Hmm. Um, and now yeah. it's time for a Taras band. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the old BBC programme. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So what were the particular highlights of, of it? Because I imagine, obviously the challenges are epic. Mm-hmm. What were the, the particular mm-hmm. positives and highlights? The, the teaching. The teaching itself is really satisfying on a good day. Yeah. Uh, and there were lots of lovely children in the school. We look at so a, many of them have gone on to such great success as yes, well. Including yes. your own lot as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. And um, having the freedom to actually choose what we wanted to do when. Yes. yes we had to stick yeah. to a curriculum. Yeah. But we could also go off at a tangent. If it was a nice day, if the sun was shining and we could possibly think of a reason for going somewhere, we we would just go. Um, Perfect. And, yeah, having the, the chance to uh, explore you know, the, the island round about us, and also make use of the talents of s- some of the locals, like having Pete in yeah. doing the music. Kevin, who was the bus driver at the time, yeah. he did a, a history project with us at Amazing. one point, where he took us to all the old sites and told us lots of stories. And various other people came in, over the years, Andrew came in and oh. talked to us about bees. The, the last time I was working in the school was when you were head yes, still. Yeah. And the, the community uh, lunch club oh, yes. met on, there. On a Tuesday. On a Tuesday uh-huh. at the school. And I, I remember that's the last time I saw your Auntie Flora. And that was, for me, that was my great ambition with learning Gaelic, was to speak Gaelic to Flora. Mm-hmm. And it didn't, I, I, so I went and <laughs> said hello over a grave the other day. <laughs> but I was really struck by that the older members of the community walked in and yes. that being there yeah. as with the kids. Yes. And I thought that was fantastic. Yes. To have that continuity of community through the school. Mm-hmm. Were the kids conscious of being part of a continuous community, do you think? That- I think they were in those days, yes. And the, some of the Gaelic speakers would come through to the classroom on a Tuesday after lunchtime and talk to us in Gaelic, uh, or correct our Gaelic, <laughs> <laughs> which is what happened quite a lot. Um, I, th- I think they were very happy to talk to adults uh, just through meeting them. Uh, social occasions like that. We also used to do these enormous performances. Oh, wow. Christmas performances. Well, they weren't always at Christmas time because Christmas was a busy time. Yes, yeah. But we would do these, the wind and the willows and things like that, which is quite a challenge if you've only got five children. (laughs) Totally. Ten parts. The weasels. I mean, that's five weasels already. <laughs> so we used to have good fun doing things like that. Oh, I'm great. not sure I thought it was fun at the time. You're <laughs> making people's memories. Yes. That's <laughs> yes, yes. It could be quite stressful. The, the children enjoyed doing things like that. They had quite a wide curriculum. And we also could go off the island for a few days at a time to experience fantastic uh, mainland yeah. things too. And we had very supportive parents who would join in. Fantastic. Uh, whenever whenever they were asked to do something, that yeah. they were there, they would come with us to mainland too. 
Looking ahead now, the future of the island, there's eight, a, a prospect of eight houses coming along in mm -hmm. between the Church of Scotland and Frank's old house. What do you think the challenges that the island faces are for the future that you anticipate? And what do you think the successes, but difficult questions, sorry, mm -hmm. uh, are on the other side of that? Well, the challenges are employment and housing. You've basically already named one. Yeah. Um, and they both, they both go together. And also younger people are, are not prepared to live in caravans, I don't think, or send them up for a length of time that maybe 20 years ago they would have. And I don't see why they should, really. Mm. We're a rich country. Scotland's a very rich country, although we don't see much sign of it. He can laugh. So that's a problem. I mean, there is sufficient work, but we the age demographic causes is dreadfully. We, we're old. Yes. <laughs> mm. And we've got... It's at the moment it's masked because we've got quite a lot of, of 40 and under around about that age group. Mm -hmm. um, and you think of them as young, but it's not really all that young. No, so it's, you yeah. have to keep working and attracting. And so there's that. I think something that probably stops or makes a lot of young couples who might be interested in coming here is just the schooling. Yes. Um, sending children off at 11, even if it is just weekly boarding now in Oban, it's still not the same as having your children at home. Uh, at home. And because of the doubt over the plane service at the moment... I'd heard about this. That, uh, ...makes it even more of a worry for the future, exactly what will happen. However, I do feel that it's quite buoyant at the moment mm -hmm. on the island. I don't know if that's a feeling you've got. Either. I think it's fantastic, yeah. yeah. It's it's changing, definitely, from when yes. I was here last, which is great, because mm. you don't want it to be a static entity. Mm. But it feels... Uh, I mean, the hotel feels... It's lovely seeing here and that in there. That's yes. really positive. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's lovely going into the shop as well. The shop feels like a very positive... Mm -hmm. Did you run the shop as well at one point? Is that right? Yes, I did. Remember that, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, the, I mean, the bookshop, obviously being a complete bibliophile, that's just mm -hmm. paradise. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. The selection in there is exceptional. Mm -hmm. There's older things. The, is it Georgina that does the second-hand selections? She certainly used to. I think she still does. My goodness, the second-hand selections are stunning. There's some really great mm -hmm. things in there that, uh, yeah, really, really good. So it's... So that's lovely, and then just the feel of the. I mean, there's a timeless feel of. I'm, I've got that problem of being um, a, a sort of nostalgic over somewhere where that you know I knew as a child, which so many of us do. And but I'm thinking quite conscious of the realities, and it's it's absolutely magic being back. <laughs> the problem is that we've got sort of settled population. Yes. But quite old. Yes. You know, a lot of the people here who are now the community yeah. came to retire. Yes. And they're going to die. Yes. I said we, and then you're stuck with this he churn, you know, churn again of new people coming in, and they don't all stay; they come and go. And um, so it's it's talk, always a kind of a battle. You talked about that earlier on in, in relation to the new houses as well that have been built. Is that can you say a little bit more about that? We were talking about. Before? Well, it's just the problem that they they tend to be all two or three bedroom, and we, we haven't got, in my opinion, a, a proper variety of, of houses which I think is what they should be aiming to, to do. So from starter homes with one yeah. bedrooms for and all you to end of life homes really and Yes. Mm -hmm. where do the, the old the old folks go at the moment? Is it like Swatty's still up at uh yeah. mm -hmm. isn't he? Most of them manage to stay at home. Mm -hmm. um, we've got tremendous health professionals, doctors, nurses and all the carers 
um, and generally can manage to arrange packages to keep them here. We're incredibly lucky at the moment with, with our medical care, but that is another scare for the future. What yeah, every time happen? the doctor retires, they try to alter the system. Cut the service. Mm-hmm. A feature that we know in not only too well. Mm. Yes. And of course, we've been spoilt now for the last however many years because we've had two doctors doing job share, uh, which has worked fantastically well. That's fantastic. Mm. Yeah. I think we, we talk about this in relation to our own healthcare system is that we were spoilt with our doctors. Actually, I don't think you are spoilt. You're getting what, you, what you're due. Mm. Yes. I think that's. I think we need to stop thinking about it as a, a luxury and the rights mm. as well, more so in... Yeah, the healthcare of the islands and smaller communities is vital. And it, and in the terrifying sort of commercial world that our English cousins are going into with NHS down there, I fear for our, our mm-hmm. own NHS because although it has problems, it, it's pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's a difficult, mm-hmm. difficult situation. And it, yeah, that is the, it makes life sustainable. Mm-hmm. It also impacts the holiday season because a lot of the work of the GPs is done during the busy holiday times when, you know, there's minor accidents and people Actually, with no. obviously illnesses that they forgot to take pills or blah, yeah. blah, blah. If you get rid of that, then it's a risky impact on the tourism mm. as well. Because with social media, somebody just has to post something saying he went to Collins, he couldn't yeah. get any help, had to be evacuated yeah, or something yeah. like that. You know, because there was no doctor available to treat me. And the story gets run and folks are, well, I'm not going there. Yeah. Um, so... I think the medical services are vital. On that's one example on every. Mm-hmm. And as you say, it's it's not a vast expense to keep it compared to what it would be, even to produce an alternative model of flying people in and out and all the rest of it. It just uh, that adds expense anyways. What about your own kids? How do they feel about growing up in Colonsay? Because um, when I because I'd I'd known Jen years ago through music and being right. here. Uh, and I met Morna through the local development officer stuff. How do they feel about Colonsy? Mm. If it's well, okay to put words in their mouths. <laughs> well, Jane obviously liked it so much she wanted to come back to live here. Well, so did Morna for that three three years or two years that she was here. Mm-hmm. Um, she found it not stimulating, stimulating. enough because mm-hmm. she's quite a go-getter, you know, in her own, and she missed her profession. What's her profession again? She's a pathologist. Not much call for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, she did once. She was... When she was living here, she was accosted by a tourist who said that, I've seen a dead sheep over there. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you want me to do, a post-mortem? <laughs> Get a wee pen knife out. <laughs> so, but um, no, mm-hmm. not a great call for pathologists. Mm-hmm. And, and she's also very sociable, so yeah. she, she did miss her friends. But her husband, paradoxically, would have loved to stay. <laughs> yes. And loves it. So they come, they come plenty, but um, Jane and her husband... Both love Collinsy and her husband particularly. He's, this is paradise for him. So, but then you've got Caitlin and Liam McNeil who are desperately trying to keep a foot on the island, even although, mm-hmm. well, Liam works in the fish farm, but okay. you know, Caitlin's at university, and once she finishes that, she may have to make a decision to live in the mainland, but she would like to you know, be able to live here. But again, housing and jobs and everything becomes a problem. Um, but I don't think it's, it's. I don't think it's looking too gloomy. Mm-hmm. No. I'm not on a downward. No. Dive at the moment. 
I suppose we're no worse than it, lots of other places in Scotland. Eh? Well, that's great. Thank you both very much for your time. That's absolutely fantastic. Cheers, Pleasure. Thank you so much to Carol, Pidi, their grandchildren and Laika, the dog, for their time. It was a rare treat to get a chance to catch up. Just a reminder that the episode will play out with one of Pidi's songs, so feel free to skip this bit if you like, but then I miss the song. Colonsay is a remarkable island. As I say in the conversation you've just heard, I've got a very nostalgic view of the island, as it had such a massive impact on me growing up. My love of Colonsay and island life is what first drew me to living on Mull, when a job that appealed came up back in 2006. It's really refreshing to get a chance to get past my nostalgic lens and to talk about the reality of life there. As a community, Colonsay achieve remarkable things. They have a spring festival, a book festival, a music festival and a food and drink festival. They work together to make things happen. It's not always easy, but they get things done. They are an inspirational community. I'm keen to go back soon and talk to more people. There's some seriously talented younger people on the island, including Jen, Carol and Petey's daughter, Caitlin and Liam McNeil. If you ever find yourself in Collinsey on a Friday night, do drop into the session in the hotel bar. It's one of the finest sessions in the West. You'll hear all sorts of fine, fine tunes and songs. The linguistic identity of Collinsey is also really interesting. If you're at all interested in Gaelic dialects and cultural identity as expressed through language, Collinsey Gaelic is particularly interesting. There are now only a handful of Collinsey Gaelic speakers left, which, whilst tragic, is also an expression of the reality of life in remote communities. Go away, fly. <laughs> I'm keen to talk to Alistair Schooler, a relative who lives for part of the year on the island, about this area, as he has a doctorate on Collinsey Gaelic. I'll see if we can get some time together in the coming months, and I'll put it out as a side episode of the podcast. The next episode also comes from Colonsay and features a chat that takes us through the characters and history of the island in the 20th and 21st centuries. I'm really looking forward to sharing this one with you. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by donating via PayPal or Patreon. You'll find the details on the website under the Donate tab. I do this for free because I think it really matters. Any support you can offer is really appreciated. So thank you very much indeed to John and the anonymous doctor, uh, sorry, donor, your support is very, very much appreciated. If you want to leave a review on whichever platform you use to listen to the podcast, I'd be very grateful, as the more reviews we can get, the more people can get to hear these stories and join us on our travels together. Thank you to those of you who reach out to say hello and pass on more information about Bits and Bobs too. It's, I always appreciate hearing from you. Thank you. So, if you happen to be at the Benesson Show on Friday the 2nd of August, as I say, do come and say hello. To see us off for this episode... Donald has very kindly let me use his song The Hall in 59, which captures a particular moment in time with great clarity and affection. Thanks again for that, Petey. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Shinakade, Morantang. Dance the quadrille and the lancers too 
the men in suits with their polished shoes, the ladies shone in summer dresses, arm in arm in warm embraces, and Rini danced with Ella then, when girls were girls and men were men. The dancers swayed to the music played in the hall in 59. your partners for the Valita waltz to start the night and Doogie jumps down from the stage finds a partner and he makes his way to the dance floor it's now filling up anticipation of some good luck well maybe romance is in the air for a handsome lad and his lady fair to dance the quadrille the lancers too men in suits with their polished shoes, the ladies shone in summer dresses, arm in arm in warm embraces, and Rini danced with Ella then, when girls were girls and men were men, the dancers swayed to the music played in the hall in 59.
to the music played in the hall in 59. 